Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast. My name is Monty Ward and my guest today is Michele Manelli from the Salchetto Winery, which is in the Nobile or Vino Nobile region of Tuscany. Welcome, Michele. Hello. Thank you for having me here. Uh, now, listen, tell me a little bit about, first of all, about the region. Uh, Vino Nobile, Vino Nobile di Montepulciano, obviously the town of Montepulciano. Where is it in Tuscany exactly and what makes it special? Well, we are in the southeast of uh, Siena province, quite internal, so get less influence, first of all, from, from the sea. So how far were you from the Mediterranean in kilometers? What, 50 kilometers? Actually, bird flight, probably something like this, okay. yeah, 50, 60 kilometers. Okay. Yeah. So you get nice, cool winters? Yeah, we, yeah, we get, especially, you know, at the end, we notice that we have bigger uh, excursions. Bigger day-night temperature day Day-night temperature differences. At the end, we can get a little uh, warmer during summer, but even colder during winter. But what really makes a difference is this exchange, because actually we can define ourselves, compared, for example, from our cousins of Montalcino, which are the closest, uh, probably the closer uh, appellation from, from us, more continental. We definitely are a little bit more continental. And this uh, uh, exchanges help, by the way, a lot. It's one of the factors that is helping a lot, this, uh, this great maturation. And, 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 and capacity of extracting. It's a, Montepulciano seems to be really a, a good damn area for, for Sangiovese, which is sometime... The, the main uh, grape, uh, the also main. known as Prugnolo in your area. So this idea of a, you get much colder winter than Montalcino, is that good for dormancy, letting the vines really get a good sleep? That's a point that we see, even though, let, let's be clear, the stress has been very high in the last decade for everyone around, uh, let's say, Italy, Europe, the world, the universe, <laughs> the, the universe, baby, we, for climatic, uh, because I'm sure they plant vine even in the universe, and it's, it's everywhere. And it, it's, uh, so we, we do have uh, stress coming from this uh, variability of the weather, which is, uh, which is a phenomenon, as we know. So the main grape is Sangiovese. Vino Nobili can be made, it can be a blend. It doesn't have to be 100% Sangiovese, does it? It can be a blend of up to 15%. It can, actually, it has always been. It was born as a blend, it, uh, and, uh, uh, and uh, the up to 100% Sangiovese came in the in the 90s. It was quite late, but it started with a 60% in the 60s, one of the first appellations around. And then, uh, and then the, the recent and stable, I would say, uh, regulation uh, in the interpretation of uh, the percentage of Sangiovese is minimum 70. So, what do we expect in general terms from a Vino Nobili wine in in general, and also from a Salchetto wine in particular? What do you look for as a winemaker and as a as a well? Uh, what I look for is uh, uh, to express Sangiovese, it's bright uh, red fruit. It's uh, the fact that he has no terpenic, so no dominating aroma is something that I appreciate in the sense of a variety of fruit. So when you say terpenes, terpenic, what do you mean? You, you're avoiding what stalky flavors or no? In general, flavors? you know, terpenic is when you have uh, a molecular that is going to provide a taste very uh, profiling of, uh, uh, a grape. For example, the uh, cat piece of the Sauvignon Blanc okay. or the uh, herbaceous wet herbaceous of the Cabernet Sauvignon. It's exactly. Th- these are these are elements that are giving a, a, a predominant uh, character. Or, you know, mm-hmm. well, when Sangiovese is not so Sangiovese has uh, the variety coming out from his uh, from his uh, from the fruit of, of small red fruit for example and then um, 
The second aspect is uh, I will look more for elegance than power. If we can, let's say today we can give this uh, this kind of uh, so a medium body experience. Uh, then I will try to look for length in the so give it complexity more in the length than in the largeness. So length, yeah. So give yeah. it a nice long aftertaste. Exactly. And then I would like to close. I would like I dream of my Sangiovese closing soft. The tannin giving a soft uh, uh, experience because then this is today the I think the ABC of uh, of winemaking we have to create wines that are clean and balanced, stable, harmonious and and softer. And, and, and have that drinkability, yeah. And exactly, which which helps a lot drinkability. Then on the territory, because you asked myself but the ter- on the territory I think that we are finally moving in a similar common direction. Of course you can't have everybody doing the same stuff. It's impossible and it will be annoying probably too. But uh, uh, but uh, we, we, we definitely see Montepulciano looking for for, for, for these two to come to take out from this uh, terroir uh, which which has the opportunity to give you all, all that I said, so elegance uh, because of, uh, of you know, the medium body, but also because we have a, a nice acidity, you know, Montepulciano with its clays and it's more continental, gets mature with a, with a better acidity than others, for example. So in general, and I see winemakers are looking in this direction. But also what I like about the region as a whole is you've been very open to having uh, experts come and analyze your soil and do soil maps and, and help wine growers really understand what is under ground so that they can then make better choices in terms of pruning or plowing and picking and that kind of thing. Well, are, you, are you a good squad, a good group, a good team? I think that, uh, well, part of it, we talk a lot between each other too, which uh, we, not only the group that we made, the alliance is, is a, of course, an even further very tight uh, group of, uh, of, uh, of fellows, but uh, winemakers, but also in general, I see uh, our technicians between each other, we see our, you know, the farming uh, guy that uh, get together every two three months with the other farming guys of a few wineries a group of talks you know really and this is uh, this is good I, 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 I try to promote this a lot uh, but uh, in general what I what I would say is that Montepulciano is uh, even though as the greatest wine history you can imagine in Tuscany together with some uh, few wineries yeah, few, so like few states in Chianti Classico four five hundred years of history yeah and, 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 and we've always been there wine appellation in the in the Renaissance uh, late Renaissance so uh, among the Italian uh, wine scene so the first to start making real quality but we have to remember that we disappeared after the war we were too poor to we were not we didn't have this uh, investment yet in the in the early times that had some some other areas that so basically since we are today the last are trying to reborn in some way with this great so you said a lot you mean a lot so less well known than Chianti yeah. Classico and less well known than Brunello so we have to move more. Yeah, but in a way you've got an <laughs> advantage because you can see the mistakes the other guys have made and the other teams have made Makes sense. in terms of making life too complicated for consumers to understand. So I want to ask you about your winery. I know you're organic in your vineyards. How big is the estate roughly in terms of a vineyard uh, area? Today we, we, are, we went over the 50 hectares so we are close to, to the 60 almost uh, with some new vineyards that are coming along. Okay and everything hand-picked? Yes of course. I tried, I must be honest uh, I tried some uh, very to, in, the, in the previous years uh, to rent a machine for a day or two just to to see what was this thing that, and I and I can say that uh, there is uh, certainly a great uh, opportunity to make to make a mass large qual large let's say medium quality become better okay. also in terms of productivity. I do believe this. It's it's complicated to to use, but I I say that there is no. It's not possible for the high quality to to do anything else than hand picking. Okay, tell me about the winery. You've got the first, as far as I know, the only off grid winery in Italy. 
uh, and I'm not going to wax lyrical about it and what you need to tell me but I think you've got the most exciting winery in the whole of the country wow thank no, you no seriously every time I go there it's just this natural light just give us a rough idea of how it works what the well, idea what the key the key drivers were behind it in, in your mind and why did you design it the way you did well uh, the, the answer is because uh, when I wanted to grow the winery I wanted to make the most responsible choice of development I could so I needed first of all to defeat energy because it has always been in the last decades a great challenge because energy is a scarce resource and a strategic one but also because of these uh, climate changing effects so we need to, to be responsible in this sense so I designed the winery to be energy independent with a lot of solutions that are savings uh, you know la- conveyor of light instead of electrical lights or just uh, mirrors or uh, free cooling with uh, by collecting air from outside or uh, having a design inside the project uh, already since the beginnings uh, rooms and spaces to to work my own uh, biomass wood biomass to make them become energy etc etc a lot of things and this was the idea then this responsibility first of all we came at the point we say we need to enlarge the vision it, it, it cannot be only energy we have to see what are the main uh, impact uh, of, of uh, winemaking well we we have to talk about also biodiversity management water management but also what was really important we got inside an approach to to measuring our standards of, of sustainability because then it became an even broader picture being responsible of all my value chain from the supply uh, up top upstream until the distribution downstream so interacting with my value chain to measure all the impacts uh, the major impacts and try to monitor and get the matter for example the packaging packaging is not something I produce but I use it so I need to to find the, for example as we do the best uh, lighter bottle or produce locally because it's better for the upstream process and downstream process and it decreases my carbon footprint of myself because I am responsible of it and to conclude by the way I'm very proud that I've been one of those who has promoted the, the, the born the birth of, of a great sustainability standard we have today and by the way tomorrow at Vinitaly we will be uh, having the first certificate with 10 other colleagues this is great it's named Equalitas and it's really something that all the world now is inviting Italy for this uh, standard because the, the Californians have done great things in the past but now they need to catch up and they are already for example uh, looking at our standard the Spanish the French not to, I say it because uh, not with vanity but with pride because uh, Italy has done great investments in the last decade in terms of sustainability we're not the only one there are a lot of people that have been on the on all sides production research of university associations of growers so I'm really happy so when I go into the winery, these lovely lights come on. Are you just having like low energy light bulbs and a low an electric source for those? How does that work? Well, uh, it works that uh, first of all uh, we have to work when there is sun, which is a good thing. When there is no sun, we have to go home uh, doing better activities. Why? Because there is uh, no electricity. It's uh, so no electricity at all. At all, no, no. no so no. hang on, what about so what? The light is from the sun. When I walk around, the light the, is the light, is, light is reflected by uh, by mirrors. In, there is there are pipes that are collecting really the. Me- I can say physically, you know, these mm. these uh, the UV, these uh, these uh, that these X, these uh, sun rays that bounce in these mirrors and get uh, to even 20 meters distance, making cur- making turns and doing and go- going into the room where where we need it. By the way, when you are inside, you have been at the winery. Remember, yeah, you, time, you can times. see the the, the, the clouds uh, outside yeah. that, uh, that, that that you know create a shallow even inside a, a, an underground yeah. Yeah. cellar. If anybody hasn't been there, it's like being outside, but you're completely inside, and as you say, you're underground. So you really 
really, you're talking to somebody who's in bright light and then it just gets a little bit cloudy and a bit shady and then the sun comes out again and you are, I don't know how many metres underground, 10, 15 metres? Well, yeah, you're 18 metres actually. Right, there you go. And it's absolutely, and it, if I had to work in that winery without these horrible buzzing yeah. uh, electrically charged lights, which really give you a headache, um, it's such a, you just feel so natural in there. Horrible yeah, word does. to use. Right, I'm going to ask you another one. So basically in terms of energy, um, what about water reclamation? Because obviously we use a lot of water. Yeah, we use a lot of water. In even though we have to remember that this lot of water mainly is rainwater falling over our vineyards. So you collect it? Uh, when we measure water impact, we also consider the responsibility of the piece of land that we that we manage or the rain that falls on top of it in some way. Because it's, uh, we are using it mm-hmm. impartially to cultivate gra- grapes. And by the way, it's typically a rational way to use uh, this rainwater. We collect it, of course. We have a lake because uh, we don't we, we, we collect even rain uh, rainwater. But mainly our, our care is, uh, and this is what is the real strategic impact in winemaking, is uh, treating the water you touch, let's say. Mm-hmm. So the water that goes through the cellar, the office, the restaurant, the wine or whatever and so we need to really be uh, be sure to clean it and not to to give it back to the environment uh, worse than we than we than we than we took it because otherwise there is a big impact on biodiversity so when you're making red wine you need to use pumps to pump the juice over the skins you just have like um, you just plug into the electricity socket like everybody else or would you do something not really go on spit <laughs> it out let's talk. let's hear about it come on no we have okay for electricity pure we have some photovoltaic we need it uh, we need it uh, because so that's solar energy that you're catching. Solar energy, exactly. Because but also you've got another system where you use the carbon dioxide. Is that correct? Actually, this is the. Uh, oh, this is sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. This is during the winemaking. Yeah, it's, yeah, a, it's even more fun. You're right. Yeah, you, you know it better than me. No, no, you can uh, explain no, it. But, but uh, the, the thing, during fermentation. By the way, this system was born because we met. I met with these guys that make uh, manufacture uh, steel vats in uh, up in Venice. The Lazi brothers, crazy people that wanted to create a fermenter playing with pressure and. Uh, so it's kind of, you know, the German project that then gave birth to Ganymede. But it's much more interesting because I would say because it's complete, because you're playing with this pressure and you're doing all the movements. So the pump over, no more pump over because you, you play with pressure by creating it and, and, and depressurizing the vat. You can, uh, you can get uh, a movement of the juice, which, which will be not only a renewable energy because we have created a renewable energy thanks to, to, to this uh, playing with the pressure generated by the fermentation, but we are also doing it in an extremely delicate way. So basically we created at the same time a super efficient uh, tool in terms of uh, energy management, but we also created a fantastic uh, tool to make uh, better uh, better wines because the extractions are softer, so you can extract more and have wines which which uh, feel uh, more round, and this is great. So basically when the, when the yeast are eating the sugar and shitting carbon dioxide, they piss alcohol and they shit carbon dioxide farting you're collecting their farts and you're using mm-hmm. that energy that gas to drive what pistons or, or paddles that, that allow no, you to mix actually them. it's a matter of you know imagine when you fill up your vet and you close it you have the skins which are floating on top and it's our problem we need to continuously wet the skins and so normally doing with a pump to with avoid an engine that irrorates uh, on top uh, no there we are just uh, when it pressurizes there, there are the little bulbs of, of, of CO2 that are far that are in the middle of the wine because they're called kept there when you open on the top like a coca-cola can all the bulbs will go will go up top and we'll we'll bring the Ah, wine with it so this is the first big effect then the second is that we have a double layer 
vet. We collect some of the fart in the in the in the lower uh, in the lower vet, and uh, we uh, by with, with again uh, p- uh, pipes and valves, we can get uh, the pressure going from the from the down vet up, from the b- create a vet, wave, yeah. and again it will completely reverse the cap of skins, and so again it will create, uh, for example, the same function as a punch down or a delestage. So texturally, your red wines are very very interesting, and I'm convinced that it's because of the way you vinify, and I'm also convinced that a lot of critics. Well, not a lot, but some people don't obviously don't always get your wines and always understand your wines because they have a very different shape in the mouth and a very different texture uh, in the mouth to say, I don't be rude, but a conventional wine made in a conventional way. I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. Would you would you say that? Would you do you think that's the case? Well, I think that uh, in the soup, uh, I, I recognize some of the ingredients uh, of uh, of uh, of the soup, which, for example, let's add the sulfite because we okay we are uh, strongly still believing. And, f- and fighting to make research around sulfite uh, with the obvious line to make completely sulfate-free wine, and this is a story. But in general, we don't use sulfite in fermentation for all wines. Then, of course, so even the Nobile, the Sacco, the Cruz, the Reserve, no, no sulfur in fermentation means a start which is very, there is a buzz, very large in the fruit and very, you know, the yeast work... Uh, Slowly initially. Yeah. But but create uh, in some way mouth is it more richness exactly is I think that, 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 I think that there is dimension in the in the mouth are they allowed to produce extra glycerol to give that kind of slightly wider mouth feel because they're they're not being stressed all the time they're really working according to their own pace would you go along with that mm, I think that uh, the, no, they're not stressed it's a good point uh, even though they are bothered sometimes with by some bacteria that are not going to be completely taken away the, from from the sulfide but we have to combine this with the fact that they work very well under pressure with the fermenters. They work very well because we cultivate the yeast of each vet. Every, every vet, we, pr- we, we, we cultivate easy own yeast. So to try to help the best, the better yeast to, to predominate. So, so what you mean by that is each, each tank has its own... You, you let the actually, yeast in, the, in the 38 hours uh, uh, while I, I, I make some cold maceration, I take off 5% of the of the juice and cultivate its own is there with just heat. Eat it and, and make it ferment uh, more in a better condition. So you, so take little, you take a little salt. So this 5% analyze. becomes a booster for the for the batch. But every single batch has its own, not not something that we use for everybody. It's, a, it's, it's This, I think, is, a, is very interesting. So if I was a natural wine Taliban, which I'm not, I would say, oh, you can't. As happened to me, I had somebody, yeah. uh, I sent one of my natural wines into a wine friend. They, they didn't like that kind of behavior. Justify why you're using grown-up clever science to make better wine and why should people who criticize you for doing that accept what you're doing because all you're doing is using the vineyard yeast right you're just making sure that the vineyard yeast in that particular vat are healthy and they're not going to give you a really vinegary wine you're just analyzing it and helping them grow in the early stages and then putting them back in the tank yeah is that right exactly how would you what would you say if i said you shouldn't do that i would say did grape want it to become wine? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did grapes want to become wine? All right. Okay. Tell me about the no-added sulfite wines as well, because again, your no-added sulfite wines, I'm, no, as a category, I think everyone agrees that when they're good, they're fantastic, they're brilliant, they're amazing, and when they're not, they're absolutely undrinkable. They can be, and then of course you have wines in the middle that um, have tolerable faults, should we say, which are still very enjoyable wines. Where do you stand on the? What is your driving? rationale for making a no-added sulfite wine? Why make life hard for yourself? Why make life hard for yourself in the market and in the winery? Why just just sling some sulfites in and sleep easy at night? First of all, I stand in the 
I, I started this uh, project with the idea I want to do something uh, different. I want to do a different taste. I want to f look if there is a different taste because otherwise the effort uh, is, is useless because if it's just a matter of taking away this uh, dust of, of sulfur, it, it's not even a problem, an environmental problem, an healthy problem if you use them correctly. But of course, taking off is always also nice for, for a guy which is so rationalizing as, as, as I am. But first of all, it, the second point is I wanted to make it become as much as possible a conventional approach in the sense of reliability of the wine, if it needs to travel, if it needs to be stored, etc. But also in general to be reliable as a, as a taste, you know. Conventional means for us today means uh, uh, clean, uh, fruity, fruity uh, net, you know, etc. And, and so on. Well, I can say that uh, I partially uh, have uh, uh, reached both of these uh, targets because uh, because the wine is mostly reliable even though it's not yet completely how can I say dominated you cannot completely dominate the sulfur still has a bit of its own freedom there is a freedom and uh, maybe we will uh, by continuing this uh, research and these attempts we will find ways to make it become more controllable and more addressable in some way you know, to minimize the risks to so. minimize the risk of what of a little volatile that goes up of some kind of small oxidation of a reduction sometimes of etc etc so aspects which I must be honest as, a, as, a, as the winemaker as the winemaking I have always expressed I should call these defaults uh, today I'm calling them nuances of, uh, of uh, new tasties that combined with the great vibration that sulfur-free wines have because they have this buzz. What I was telling at the beginning for what happens is that there is, there is a bacteriological buzz happening in the sulfur-free wine. So for the other wines, that was a, is, is what I wanted to mention. They have it at the beginning, then I have to control it because I put them in wood, because I also don't want to, I, I want to address them more. On the sulfur-free, you have this, uh, this buzz which continues even in the bottle and you feel it. You know, I like to, to call this uh, new dimension of sulfur-free wines is the not the back taste, the back sound. When it's when when you are uh, when you have it on your palate, you know, typically you have the back taste coming up. Well, you have some noise coming to your ears, and you feel this damn bacteriological life, which is also giving sometimes thickness. Sometimes it's it's, it's in some way also tickling your palate, and also it's creating aromatics which are new. Especially, let's underline these two in difficult vintage, because in the top vintages, example, I started in 2012 bottling such wines. In 2012, 13, 15, the wines are much closer to conventional taste. Than Even though they're quotes natural. Exactly. In 14, 16, 17, I would say also because we, where there are problems, even if they are minimal, you have much less uh, instruments to defend from this problem. It is, it is undeniable. But I'm, I'm seeing an evolution also in the market. There are still a lot of people who, uh, who make a face on these wines, but uh, they don't like them. They, they don't they? like them, mm -hmm. especially in, on the trade. But more and more and more we see people understanding that they have a character, they have a personality, and, and, and that maybe there is something in, this, in these nuances of, uh, uh, that I mentioned before that is even, even attractive, and, and it's coming along. Well, first of all, consumers are ready, they love it. Consumers mostly love it. So in general, especially because they love the store, the story is exciting. Then when they get to the wine, they even feel there is something, and so it's even better. Yeah, I mean, texturally, these wines are very different, irrespective even of flavor, texturally, they're very different. Yeah, this is the... But what about the, what about the boring old curmudgeon journalist people that are really kind of divided on the taste 
Um, I think everyone applauds your or people like you the sort of environmental aspect, but you know, as a biodynamic guy, you know, you've got to, you, the results count. We can talk and talk and talk and play around with the moon, lunar cycles, all that kind of crap, but you've got to deliver, haven't you? How do you how do you sort of convince or educate maybe more people in the wine trade and, and the media of the merits of what you are doing? Well, it's tough. In the last years, I got to the point uh, in which I abandoned almost trying to convince uh, anyone. And I, re- I even often don't send them out for tastings, just to be clear. Mm-hmm. And uh, because, uh, because uh, very rarely uh, people stopped and really thought. Th- there has been examples. There has been cases in which uh, some even very mainstream, let's say, uh, magazines or, or guides have stopped, thought about it, and gave a very frank and interesting uh, critic on them. And um, sometimes positive, sometimes but very, very... Constructive. Co- yeah, exactly, constructive. And, and I, when we had also some positive ones. But at some point I stopped. Today I think that we can re- we can try again, because I think that uh, that uh, the media is also understanding that the, the, there is an opportunity of, of, uh, of uh, culture there too. Yeah, there's a chance to change, isn't there? There's a chance to look at wine uh, to make it live up to its. Well, at least to add something, and you know, we we work for for uh, for this, for the curiosity of a new information, of a new uh, a new aspect, a new story, and so I think it's uh, I think it's a uh, it's a new time. And by the way, I was surprised about the interest internationally. Also, in in the last uh, months, I've been traveling a bit, and uh, and. Uh, and it's really coming along, uh, coming along everywhere now. This this expectation on these wines. So I just want to say thanks to Michele Malani for coming in today and talking about Salchetto. Anybody who's listening and who um, wants to know more about Tuscany and who wants to know more about cutting edge winemaking, this winery, Salchetto, should be your first stop. You will never see a winery anywhere in the world that is like this. And the approach that Michele and his team are doing is absolutely new. Now, whether you like the wines or not, uh, whether you think they're consistent in every vintage, I'm not really interested. I mean, they're not always consistent in every vintage. But in terms of texture, and you, you look at what's going on in the vineyard, you look at what's going on in the winery and how it's actually done. You won't understand it until you actually go there. I insist that you do. And you get in that winery and you feel the light change on your head when you're, I don't know, <laughs> 10 meters below ground. That is when you're finally going to understand why light is important in outside why light is important inside and why if you uh, the wine that you're drinking shows an inner brightness in terms of its its light its inner light then you will finally understand what's going on it's a, it's a big learning curve must visit this wine you can have a really nice lunch very light as well <laughs> which is because it goes with your flower garden so McKinney, thank you monty so, i'm flattered yeah so let's discuss the contract when i become your pr manager on Mon- we'll do that on monday shall we exactly yeah all monday right great okay i've got a swiss <laughs> bank account yeah. Thanks a lot. It, it, it's already there. Great. Thanks a lot. That's Thanks, cool. Monty. Thanks, Miguel. It was a great one. Thanks. Follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. 